0: you're listening to the coffee hour i'm sarah Golseth, and i'm rachel bomberger normally co-host of the lutheran
1: ladies lounge but sitting in for andy bates today
0: Yes, thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel, to be my co-host today while Andy is out of the office. Uh, we're talking about kids today, and I figured it would be good to have a mom on the show with me to uh, give some some more practical experience along with our guest. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. <laughs> Joining us today to talk about kids and summer boredom, which I think is a really fantastic and applicable and relevant topic for right now, is Anna Musman, homeschool mom of four and author of a fantastic recent Lutheran Witness article online, Making the Most of Your Kids' Summer Boredom. Thanks so much for joining me today, Anna. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So this is, a, this is a great article, lots of, of practical advice, uh, but also some really solid uh, theological reasoning for, for what it actually means to be bored and what you can do about that with your kids. So first, uh, let's talk about healthy boredom. Is healthy boredom actually a thing?
2: And I would say yes, as long as we define it. Because when we talk about boredom, we tend to mean one of two things. Sometimes we mean just the feeling which is very subjective. you know. Somebody feels bored, whether or not they should. And then sometimes we mean a situation that is not stimulating or perhaps not meaningful. Like there are jobs that sort of legitimately might be boring where it's sort of a meaningless (laughs) job and you're just doing, you're sitting there doing nothing. But I think boredom, the feeling is, it's something that we need to be able to work through, just like a little bit of good stress, We need to be able to work through a little bit of stress to take a test or give a musical performance or go out and meet new people. And, you know, we need to be able to work through a little bit of muscle fatigue if we're exercising. And those aren't things that we necessarily seek out for their own sake, but they are very much part of being able to do a lot of really good things. And we need to be able to handle them and embrace them in order to, to enjoy these good things. So yes, boredom can be very healthy. I'm so glad
1: you say that because I often tell my children that there are certain things that you will never learn, whether it's learning how to whistle or, um, build a treehouse. If you're not a little bit bored, nobody learns to whistle if they're not bored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, so, but they always sort of look at me funny when I say that, Oh mom, Because they're uncomfortable with boredom, which I think is a very societal thing in this little moment in history we're going through right now. Why are we as a culture so uncomfortable with being bored or being alone or being quiet? What about that just gives us a bad
2: feeling? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're out of practice. We're very conditioned and really misconditioned by the artificiality of modern life in some ways to experience this constant stimulation. We're so used to that. I mean, especially as adults or older kids who have screens, but younger kids too, you know, there's always something going beep, 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 or pop up notification, Mm -hmm. whatever. And we're so conditioned to that. But I think it also says something about the state in modern society of most people's spiritual life and their mental state that we're avoiding ourselves, and we're probably Mm -hmm. avoiding the Holy Spirit. You know, if we can't sit quiet in a room, that, that does suggest that we're not comfortable with that space in which, you know, the Holy Spirit could give us sight, could could be, you know, trying to reach us without all the the, you know, the noise of life in the way, or we're not comfortable with our own thoughts. hmm Following up on that,
1: um, what are this if we're not comfortable with ourselves, what does that say about us spiritually? And and why is this a message that is so hard for people to hear?
2: I I wonder if, to some degree, like the way our society has rejected the idea of sin makes it harder to just sit by ourselves. Because when you sit by yourself, we often do start thinking, you know, thinking about how we've done things, thinking about our our future plans. And there can be discomfort if we have that peace and quiet to think about our own lives. If, If we can't say, oh, those things that I feel bad about that I've done, those are sin, and I will repent of those. Those can be forgiven. I mean, that can be a major barrier to be able to, you know, sit around and and be quiet. But also sometimes we just don't know what to do with that time. We, We haven't really invested in bringing into our minds rich ideas or theological truths or scripture verses that we know by heart that we could be thinking about. So there is this kind of sort of odd, silent static going on in our brains when we sit there because we're just not used to having, to, I, I could say, having to entertain ourselves, but also just <laughs> to think, you know? Having to keep mm-hmm. ourselves company, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. And society is very much on this track that anything uncomfortable should be fixed.
1: mm Yes, I loved your line in the article where you said, cited a study that said that three-fourths of men and a quarter of women preferred to give themselves painful electric shocks rather than be <laughs> left in a ro- alone in an empty room for 15 minutes. That was, I was surprised it was only a quarter of women, honestly, but <laughs> I think that number may be in flux.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's quite, that really says something about... Our ability to like actually just sit and think. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does our culture around us tell us about things like boredom, uh, especially for our for our younger people, for our kids? Uh, what does our culture kind of kind of nudge us, prod us to think about something like boredom or, or sitting alone with our thoughts or not having a gadget in our hands?
2: <laughs> yeah, when I think in addition to the idea that discomfort is bad. And the idea that what young people want is constant fun and stimulation of a certain kind, there's very much this subjective idea in the world that if we don't enjoy something, then it must not be for us. You know, that's not my thing. You know, if I don't like it immediately, then it's not a good thing for me, versus, you know, the older idea that perhaps you know, if we come and see a beautiful picture or listen to music or hear the Bible and we're like, oh, that's boring. You know, the older idea is that the problem might be with us that we just don't know yet <laughs> how to enjoy it and experience it.
1: Yeah, that might be a you problem if you, if you can't,
2: use, <laughs> can't enjoy a good gear. book or a,
1: or a beautiful, beautiful picture or piece of music. Um, so. If our culture says, don't be bored, whatever cost, um how then do we as adults, I know we're going to get to kids in a bit, but how do we as adults begin to break this pattern in our own lives? Because if we can't do it for ourselves, we're not going to have a chance of helping our kids
2: out. Right, right. And that's, that's a really good point because... You know, we say things to our kids, but what they really learn is they learn from watching us and they see what we actually believe by what we actually do. You know, that shows what's what we really think is true. And, and you know, we're the ones who model how to love the right things. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about the idea that education, the, the goal of education and the purpose of education is to train the affections, to teach human beings to love the things that they should love and to hate the things that they should hate so we can learn to love god's word you know we can we can be taught to in you know to really value goodness and truth and you know beautiful art and and empathy and you know people who are kind to each other these, these are things that we learn and this is all part of education so i think maybe one thing for adults is to be thinking about You know, we, there are things that we say we value in our lives and then let's look at our behavior and is that matching up and think about, you know, do do we intellectually value things, but in, you know, kind of at the gut level, heart level, action level, we don't really like them. And that might be something that we need to try to take some little steps to change. And a lot of it is just habit, you know, what we're used Mm -hmm. to. There was a guy who I I heard about a long time ago who apparently he decided to live with the Amish for a while, Mm -hmm. and he, you know, had always always wondered how is it that they can work in long sleeves out in the summer, heat, long pants, you know, they're covered up and they're working out there in these really hot temperatures, they have no air conditioning. He kind of figured like, well, Well, that's them. (laughs) You know, normal people can't do that, (laughs) but (laughs) as he was out there with them, you know, he started in the spring when it was cool and the weather heats up a little bit and you get used to it and it heats up a little bit and your body gets used to it. And he was actually able to work out in the fields and it was fine. You know, he was able to live this life. And then at some point he had some sort of health issue come up and he had to go into a hospital with all the AC. And once he'd been in the hospital for a couple weeks in the AC, his body got so deconditioned, he just couldn't go back into the field in the heat in the long pants. And I I think there's a degree to which we've, we train and condition our minds and our habits, you know, where we can be, we can become more or less used to focusing on something meaningful and difficult.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, that, that conditioning is important. Even if it just, even if you just start with saying for 15 minutes, I'm going to just be quiet be silent and you'll be so twitchy for the first few days of trying that but if you don't manage to get your own boredom problem and un- discomfort with co- boredom uh, under control you can't just tell your kids I guess to um go play while I
2: sit here and scroll my phone yeah and definitely. that doesn't work <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. yeah definitely and it'll be harder for you to try to guide and encourage their play anyway, because you won't be, you know, you won't be available. Your mind will be on your phone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's uh, there's a great value in doing that in in your adult life, and it's absolutely possible to kind of decondition yourself from always having a phone in your hand or, or always, uh, you know, trying to entertain yourself with with something rather than just uh, having those moments of being still and just kind of a uh, looking around you and, and maybe finding ways to be creative, which we will talk about after we get back from our break. Uh, How to do this with kids? What are some ways that we can encourage our kids to embrace boredom this summer? Uh, We do need to take a quick break. We're talking with Anna Musman about her article in the Lutheran Witness online, making the most of your kids' summer boredom. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. And I'm Rachel Bomberger. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth and I'm Rachel Bomberger sitting in for Andy Bates. Thanks, Rachel, for joining me today. We're talking with Anna Musman about her recent article in the Online Lutheran Witness, Making the Most of Your Kids' Summer Boredom. Uh, and this is uh, also, even if you don't have kids, if you're a young adult, uh, if you if your kids are already out of the house, these are great things to think about, uh, especially if, as uh, as all of us tend to I shouldn't say all of us, there are a lot of us who tend to rely on our our phones or our gadgets, um, other things to kind of uh, uh, displace that boredom in our lives and kind of embracing the boredom, the silence, the, the stillness in our lives can be a good thing for all of us. But let's talk specifically about our kids now. Um, Anna, what are, what are some, some ways that we can help our kids embrace this boredom this summer?
2: Yeah, and I think it's that's it's such an important thing. I think the first thing that, that we should do is realize how important it is. It might feel selfish, you know, if we're like, just go play kids, uh, go do something, entertain yourselves. That might actually feel like we're not being, you know, a great modern mother or great parent. You know, shouldn't we be driving them to places? Shouldn't we be doing stuff with them? You know, filling these hours with meaningful things. But this really is meaningful and it really is important. It's, it's like, you know, just like we'd give them their supper we really should be helping them to develop this character trait and skill of being able to use focus and quiet because they, they they need that you know to be able to think to contemplate to pray to create you know it's it's a way of of giving them a kind of freedom because they don't need that constant stimulation somebody always telling them what to think about so it is really important. And I think there are two, two main aspects to helping kids embrace that boredom and live it out and benefit from it. And the first, I think, is just practice. You know, we get used to having time with quiet, you know, time without external stimulation or entertainment. And, you know, if our kids are not used to it, we may need to start smaller and stretch it out and, and you know, grow. Kind of like we don't, you know, jump into a 10-mile hike with them all. We'd be no. like, keep going, keep going, kids. There's marshmallows at the day end. Worst ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And they also need a sense of purpose. Because I think when people use the word boredom in a highly negative way, it's because there's just a sort of emptiness and purposelessness that people end up then perhaps filling with unhealthy things like unhealthy risk-taking or something. So there should be good things that we've given them and shown them how to, how, so they, they know how they can use this time. So we can, you know, read them good books. So they have great ideas for really fun games. You know, we can help them memorize things to think about as they play. You know, we can teach them craft skills or give them supplies and send them out. You know, we can Help them play by giving them the time, but maybe playing a little bit with them to kind of model, set the tone, teach them some old fashioned games, and then again, kind of send them out for that practice.
1: So you mentioned there about the the risk taking, and that I think is a, a fear that a lot of parents have when it comes to this this topic of boredom. Um, that many of the the program much of the programming that has been done for young people is in an attempt to, A, make their lives meaningful and interesting, but B, keep them out of trouble. Um, Mm -hmm. Because as we all know, silence can be golden, but silence can also be suspicious. Um, How do you mitigate the risk of children set loose to be bored doing some mischievous or even destructive things
2: with that boredom? Right, right. I mean there's the old saying, you know, idle hands are the devil's tools and oh yes, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. But there is a difference between idleness and unstructured time. Mm. So I think, again, it's it's important that we are truly giving them good things to do. And, you know, starting with a very small child, you know, I'll see parents say to a restless, roving little boy toddler who's going around doing naughty things like, don't, don't, don't. Maybe they'll put him in a timeout and then let him go. But what you they really need to do is say, OK, you know, sweetheart, come over here. Here is some Play-Doh. You're going to play with this Play-Doh and you're going to do this and that. You know, maybe even say, I'm setting this timer for five minutes, you're going to play with the Play-Doh for five minutes while mommy stirs this thing on the hot stove, and then we can do something together. You know, we can start with young children giving them that structure and giving them something good to do with that time. And then as they learn those skills, you know, we can give them more and more freedom so when we're giving them their healthy summer boredom, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're withdrawing ourselves completely from their lives and off they go and we'll see them at supper. If they haven't sort of earned our trust, mm. we don't know that it will go well. I mean, I think it's very helpful to be sort of invisibly present. You know, you have the mm. windows open, you're listening. You are aware of what they're doing and, and you know, you as, as the parent or mom are not on your phone. So you're, you know, what's going on, you pop in and out, give them friendly support where they need it. You know, maybe bring out some cold drinks if it's a hot day and be, be involved in what's going on.
1: Right. So it's not unsupervised. It's unstructured, not unsupervised, I guess, is, is the goal here.
2: Yeah. Within reason. And I mean, again, you're, we're working towards the goal of, you know, children at some point, it would be great if you can, They can go up to their rooms and craft for the whole afternoon, and you don't really have to worry about them. Maybe you check briefly here and there, or they they go out into the woods and and they do their thing, and that's great. But again, you know, we're we're working up to that, just like you might work up to having your kid be a successful driver and you know drive to the store alone. You know, it's there's a lot of preparation and training and building of habits that that help them get there.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some ways to to teach children to um to observe to to think creatively uh, is so often if if we're if we're watching screens or something or or having too much of the of the do this do that and not allowing them to to think freely, what are some ways to uh, help them to observe and to
2: to think creatively about the things that they're they're seeing around
0: them every day?
2: I think the biggest thing is is again thinking about ourselves first and thinking about how do we treat the natural world and the physical world you know and are we interested in it and you know we we can choose as adults to get interested in it to be interested and to model that and so that we can be like you know so we we're take we're out somewhere walking along the porch and we see a bunch of ants and you know we stop and oh look at those kids and where are they going and let's figure that out and you know are they carrying anything you know how big are they and you know we we are we model genuine interest in these things and we model paying attention and we don't discourage their interest because often what kids notice and want to think about isn't necessarily the exact same thing that we as adults think is sort of important. So Mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful rock, honey. You know, that's, I love your (laughs) piece of gravel.
1: (laughs) Why are we collecting acorns again? Yes. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I know that these principles, they, they scale up and they scale down according to our age. I'm wondering how you would apply these principles. I live in a duplex right now. And so this whole, let them go play in the woods thing sounds great in principle, but you know, how do you apply these principles in a variety of settings and with a variety of people? Um, since not all of us have this, I mean, safe outdoor space. Honestly, boredom is really easy to mitigate in those circumstances. But how do you adjust for your own setting?
2: Right. I think one question to ask ourselves is, what are arenas in your life where children could have the independence to be thinking and creating and trying things for themselves? And it could be cooking you know, sometimes as modern parents, we're a little bit over scared of knives or heat or things like that. But we can choose to slowly teach our children how to use kitchen tools appropriately, and we can start them on, you know, very safe recipes. We can teach them how to cook, and then give them a little freedom of, like, okay, honey, you know, can you make lunch for everybody, or why don't you help me choose, you know, the dessert, and then you make you make the dessert. We can involve kids in not just doing those, those tasks, but being responsible for them in a fun, in a fun way, you know, and kids can get, really get involved there. And that, that's, that's a good use of time. You know, there may be crafts. We can give them freedom with crafts. You know, my mom certainly let us collect and play with all kinds of fabric scraps and needles and scissors and all those things. And we sewed all kinds of things. And we made, we had, you know, we made mistakes. We would cut our dresses, you know, to like trying to cut things in our lap. And <laughs> my poor mom, she had all the, we, had, we, we didn't have money to go replace things. So we had all these mended dresses, all this, these zigzag stitches, holding things together. and And then of course, new rules. You will not cut ever in your lap, you know, all those things. <laughs> but it was, it was really good. It gave us a world to explore even though she actually wasn't super comfortable with a ton of, you know, outdoor physical freedom at a young age, but like she found this, this other arena for us. And I, I think most families can do that. Mm-hmm, I think so.
0: Yeah, I know my, whenever we visit my nieces and nephews, uh, the youngest ones love to help me make my breakfast smoothie in the morning and they are so willing to get all of my ingredients and help me put them in. And, but they've been raised in this, in the, in what we're talking about, this, this culture of, of encouraging them to be independent, to, to try new things, to be creative. Uh, and I, and I really love that. How are there some ways that you've been able to implement these things with your own children, Anna?
2: Well, one one thing that we do, which is really helpful for me as a mother, and I think for them too, is we do quiet time every day. And we've done mm-hmm. this from the very beginning. Like when they were little, I just put them in their beds for naps and then they would stop sleeping and I would just let them have some toys in their crib and they'd still do about an, at least an hour in the middle of the day and they could play with whatever toys and, and they, you know, they got used to it. And since then, they still do, you know, they can take books, they can take games, they can do whatever, take what they like. They go up for an hour and entertain themselves, and come back down. And I think it's been so good for them. There have been times when it's been a little difficult, you know. People, is, is the time over yet, mommy? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's really, I think, increased their focus and their interest in a lot of those activities. Like you know, you one of you mentioned whistling, and yeah, it's it's the kind of thing when when you have this time dedicated. To that kind of activity, you are bored enough to, to sit and learn how to crochet or to whistle or to play, you know, board games against yourself or against your imaginary friend, and and that's good. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I love it. Uh, these are all such uh, such good insight
0: into uh, just finding new things to do, uh, encouragement to be creative, to embrace that boredom a little bit in our own lives, uh, and helping our our kids. Embrace that as well. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today on the Coffee Hour to talk about uh, helping embrace helping kids embrace boredom this summer.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun, and thanks, Rachel, for uh, joining me,
0: to co-host today. Oh, always the best. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth, and I'm Rachel Bomberger.